Hello and welcome to another special bonus episode of Power Pros Podcast. As always, I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and I am once again joined by Mark Deschamps of comicbook.com. Always great to be here, Chris. Yeah, glad to have you. And we are back this episode to discuss some of our favorite Nintendo handheld gaming systems of years gone by. 2021 marks some major anniversaries for handheld gaming, and gaming in general for that matter, with the Game Boy Advance turning 20 back in June and the Nintendo 3DS turning 10 back in March. So we wanted to look back and celebrate the significance of these two systems. Let's dive in. Yeah, so first up, we have the Game Boy Advance, the GBA. This was actually the first system launch I ever covered professionally, and has a lot of great memories for me on both a personal and a career level. At the time the GBA came out, handheld gaming was really taking a backseat to console gaming. The 8-bit Game Boy Color was the king of the handheld marketplace, and even though it had some really great games, it was largely an outlet for licensed shovelware, while most of the meaningful games came out on consoles like PlayStation 2 and Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast. You know, GameCube and Xbox weren't even out yet. But I was still a big handheld enthusiast, and I was all about finding these diamonds in the rough, these hidden gems that often went unnoticed by most of the gaming press, because I still love 2D gaming, and I believed that handheld gaming could still deliver these great, unique, exciting experiences. And my colleagues probably thought I was, you know, getting stuck covering junk, but in reality, I thought that I was able to find games that a lot of other people might not notice. So the GBA was right up my alley, and it really brought handheld gaming up to where it needed to be at that time. And I feel like the name says it all. It was so much more advanced than what we'd seen before. The games looked so much better and could be far more detailed and complex as far as gameplay goes. And this, in turn, led to games that were more like the heyday of the Super NES, which is the kind of thing I thrived on. And to me, back then, 3D gaming was still sort of a work in progress. And yes, we're talking 2001, so there were a lot of great 3D games out there by that time. You know, the N64 and PlayStation 1 had pretty much already run their course, after all. But I still love 2D gaming to its core, and GBA became the perfect outlet for that, letting 2D gaming thrive in its own special space, while consoles tended to focus on 3D as it came into its own. Yeah, for me, the GBA was really cool. I had to have it right off the bat because I was and still oh, yeah, am me too. a giant Pokemon fan. <laughs> so the second you know a new Game Boy was announced, I was all in even though we had to wait a little while before Ruby and Sapphire came out. But the great thing about the GBA was, you know, you mentioned Super Nintendo quality. Mm -hmm. There were so many Super Nintendo ports. Now, there were, you know, I grew up in the SNES Genesis era, but I kind of had this weird problem because I had both a Super Nintendo and a Genesis. Uh So I missed out on a lot of great Super Nintendo games because I was splitting my time between the two systems. So the GBA really gave me my first opportunity to play a lot of games that I missed out on, which was really cool. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there were a lot of reasons to like the GBA. I think it did have some fantastic 16-bit ports, like you were saying. It also had really great original games. It had great sequels. It had awesome franchises we could play in all new ways. But, you know, what we're going to focus on in the first half of this episode is the legacy of the GBA. The top five things that the GBA helped establish that still live on right now, 20 years later in gaming. And it's kind of funny because when you think back on it, the GBA was actually one of Nintendo's more short-lived systems. It came out in North America in 2001, and then it was only a little more than three and a half years later in 2004 that it was overshadowed by the Nintendo DS. And, you know, I remember at the time Nintendo was like, oh yeah, the GBA and the DS are going to stand side by side alongside our console as the three pillars of gaming. But that ended up being like a total load of bull and it kind of fell by the wayside pretty quickly after the DS hit. Yeah, that whole idea of the third pillar was just like so short-lived. Yeah, it was pretty much just lip service. And I feel like everybody knew it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't even last as long as the Wii U did before it ended up getting replaced. But even so, the GBA was pretty incredible during its fairly short life cycle. And a lot of what it did still influences the games we are playing right now. So first up on this list, we have Advance Wars. And Advance Wars was a turn-based military strategy game that arrived on GBA in North America in September 2001, developed by Intelligent Systems. It's actually the sequel to a Japanese series called Famicom Wars that obviously originated on the Famicom, but it wasn't until the GBA that this series came stateside and brought its unique brand of cartoony military action to a Western audience. Even though the grid-based, turn-based action is similar to other strategy games, say Fire Emblem, it's really not an RPG at all, since all the units are these, you know, faceless characters, they don't level up, and persist from battle to battle. But instead, you have your commanding officers that have the personality, but you know, otherwise you're not really dealing with RPG trappings. It pretty much is pure strategy with units like infantry and tanks and bombers and boats and personnel carriers and artillery emplacements. You have the fog of war, so you can't see what your enemies are up to. And you have your special commanding officer powers to turn the battle in your favor. Plus, you have to contend with enemies' CO powers as well. But between the contemporary military themes, the emphasis on pure strategy, and the wide variety of tactics, I really felt like this game established its own niche. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really cool to see that it's coming back to Switch. Yes, exactly. It's definitely not a series I expected to see Nintendo bringing back anytime soon. So I'm really interested to see how the Switch audience latches on to that. Yeah, exactly. The series has kind of been AWOL for several years, but now it is indeed coming back with Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp, which is a remake of the first two GBA games, Advance Wars and Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising. And of course, this is where I have to make my disclaimer. Yes, this game is being developed by WayForward, where I am currently employed. But let me say right now that I do not know anything about the game beyond what has been publicly revealed. And if I did know, I wouldn't say anything anyway. 
but I don't. I swear, I do not. <laughs> uh, I'm on the publishing team, and obviously the game is not published by us. It's by Nintendo. So yeah, I couldn't really spill any secrets on that one, even if I wanted to. But yeah, what's important is the series is coming back with a new 3D facelift on Switch, bringing back presumably all the great things people loved about the series before, the commanding officers, the varied units, all that good stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to see how it works out. Yeah, indeed. Me too. Me too. Uh, you know, of course, if you do like those original versions, you can still whip out your GBA or whip out your Wii U and play those on Virtual Console. But personally, I think that this new one looks great. And indeed, I think it is fantastic to see this very notable series getting a new chance for a new era. So moving on from there to the second item on our list, we have Fire Emblem. And, you know, I just sort of alluded to this with our previous entry, seeing as how Fire Emblem is also created by Intelligent Systems, and it is also a turn-based strategy game. But this is another huge series that really didn't make its mark until the GBA came out here in North America. Of course, once again, this is a game that started on the Famicom, but we didn't get those entries over here stateside nor did we get the sequels that followed on the Super Famicom, but we did get the GBA entries, which were completely new. In fact, the game we got as Fire Emblem was actually the seventh Fire Emblem game released in Japan, which came to North America in 2003. And I don't know why it took so long to get the series here, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the fact that it came here at all had a lot to do with the series appearing in Smash Brothers and that kind of shining a light on this previously unknown series of games over here. But, you know, whatever the reason, the GBA is where the series first made its mark, first with Fire Emblem, a.k.a. Fire Emblem the Blazing Blade, and then Fire Emblem the Sacred Stones in 2005. And while I feel like these games maybe aren't the most well-known in the series, given that they aren't the standard setting original with Marth, nor are they huge success stories that really propelled the series forward like the entries on 3DS or Switch did, they were still the games that proved that Fire Emblem was completely viable here in North America. Yeah, you know, it was really funny to watch how Marth and Roy debuted in Super Smash yeah. Brothers Melee. And then, you know, we had this whole North American audience who just went collectively, like, who? <laughs> yes. And now Fire Emblem is realistically one of Nintendo's biggest franchises. Mm -hmm. So it's crazy to see how it's evolved so much from those GBA days. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's something I was just about to say, is that it is now one of Nintendo's top-tier properties. And as any Smash Brothers fan can tell you, it might even be too popular, considering <laughs> how many roster slots they're filling up. But yeah, after the GBA entries, it went on to get installments on Wii and then DS, and then it made a huge splash with Fire Emblem Awakening on 3DS, and more recently, Fire Emblem Three Houses on Switch. And we even got the original Famicom Fire Emblem released in all of its 8-bit glory. And I'm sure the series would have you know, still found its way here eventually, one way or another. But GBA was where it all started for us in North America. And GBA will go down in history as the series' starting point for us folks over here. It's been a heck of a journey. Yes, indeed. So moving on to our next entry on our GBA Legacy list, we have Mario and Luigi. I think a very strong argument could be made that Mario and Luigi is the best original game on the GBA. 
It is, of course, a turn-based RPG series that began in 2003, starring both Mario and his beleaguered bro, Luigi, and the series is known for its quirky writing, unique battle system, and distinct take on the Super Mario Brothers characters and universe. And sure, it's not the first Mario RPG game, but it certainly does set itself apart from titles like Super Mario RPG and the Paper Mario games, which of course are becoming less RPG-like with each installment these days. But yeah, this series all started on GBA with Mario and Luigi teaming up for bro attacks and turn-based battles with a strong real-time component and, of course, a fantastic emphasis on story and characters. You know, Fawful and the Mustard of Your Doom and having Fury and all that good stuff. And, of course, it went on to spawn numerous sequels on DS and 3DS with Partners in Time, Bowser's Inside Story, Dream Team, and Paper Jam. But the first entry, with its solid formula and fairly straightforward play mechanics, might still be the best one. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Superstar Saga is easily one of my favorite games on GBA. It just has so much just heart and humor. And it's funny because I know that like Paper Mario is technically the second Super Mario RPG, but Superstar Saga really did kind of feel like a Super Mario RPG sequel. Mm -hmm. It really did kind of feel like the true successor. And it, it was still its own thing. But you had this game that just it captured that RPG feel while still being very much a Mario game. Plus, you had a, a Geno cameo in there for good measure. Yeah, that's right. And you know, like I said, it did spawn several sequels, and it's even had some remakes with this original game, as well as Bowser's Inside Story getting enhanced ports on 3DS not too long ago, near the end of that system's life cycle. You know, it's been almost four years since Mario Luigi plus Bowser's Minions hit, and a little more than two years since Bowser's Inside Story plus Bowser Jr.'s Journey came out, but I still think that's recent enough to say that the series is still having an impact. Oh, no question. And of course, the unfortunate downside is that the developer, Alpha Dream, has gone bankrupt, and we don't really know what that means for the series. We don't really know what happens from here on out. You know, I don't really know how that happens when you're basically, for all intents and purposes, a Nintendo subsidiary. But uh, yes, yeah, since that happened, there's been no word on future installments. I mean, obviously, these are Nintendo's characters. I'm sure they could continue the series if they want with a different developer. But, you know, only time will tell. Uh, but personally, I hope it is not the end, as I think there are a lot more stories they could do in this gameplay style. I mean, personally, I would love to see, if not another Mario and Luigi game, a Wario and Waluigi game, or maybe a game where you play as Bowser and his previously unknown sibling or something like that. But yeah, I think the series still has a lot of life in it, and I hope it continues. I love that Wario and Waluigi idea. That's a good one. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully one day. All right. On to our fourth entry, we have WarioWare. And the WarioWare series, you know, this is a, another true blue GBA original. And you know, when this series first came out back in 2003, some people, I might even say a lot of people, just didn't know what to make of it. You know, as I mentioned, I was a handheld guy at the time. It was my job to cover this. And, you know, this was before I was at Nintendo Power. So you know, I was covering... 
uh, all sorts of, of handheld things. But my boss, he got the game first and he looked at it and he was like, huh, a bunch of mini games. Oh, they're like five seconds long. Okay, this is pretty lame. And then he passed it on to me. And, you know, he did not know what he was giving up. You know, I played it and I just got totally hooked. And I passed along to some of my other co-workers and they got totally hooked. And we would just pass this pre-release cartridge back and forth, trying to outdo each other's high scores in this totally bizarre little game that was all about picking noses and plucking hairs and squirting eye drops and other really, really weird stuff. But it was just goofy and fun. And much to my boss's chagrin, we just could not put it down. It was bizarre. It was different. But it was totally brilliant. And of course, this one too has gone on to spawn several sequels with WarioWare Touched and WarioWare Twisted, WarioWare Smooth Moves, WarioWare DIY, where, of course, I was featured as a big-name game creator and had my microgame release as official DLC by Nintendo, uh, which was totally rad. Uh, but then, of course, you know, after releasing all these games and hundreds of microgames, it seems like you know, they were starting to run out of ideas, and it's been quite some time since we've had a brand-new release. I mean, WarioWare Gold was great, but you know, it was mostly rehashes of previous micro games, and uh, the less said about uh, Game and Wario, which really isn't the same thing. You know, kind of the better. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how the next entry shapes up on Switch. We're actually just a few weeks away from that as of this recording, so fingers crossed that we can get back to the heyday of WarioWare. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the big news. That's where we're going with this. Is that yeah after. Being uh, sidelined for a while, it too is coming back with a brand new game, WarioWare Get It Together. And the hook in this one is that instead of just controlling some random object or avatar or piece of the environment in each minigame, like was usually the case, you now play as the goofy, distinct characters who have always been part of the WarioWare series, but usually non-playable. And apparently each one has their own abilities and characteristics, so there are multiple ways to play each microgame. And then on top of that, the whole game can evidently be played in co-op multiplayer. And, you know, it's not the first WarioWare game that's had some sort of multiplayer component. I mean, WarioWare Mega Party Games was actually the name of the GameCube entry, which you know, was just basically a port of the original, but updated for a console. But it feels like this one is going to have even a bigger multiplayer component than that one did. And I'm not entirely sure what to think of controlling these characters in every single micro game because I always thought that part of the charm of the old games was that you never knew what you'd get. Like, would I be controlling a random samurai or a vacuum cleaner or an eyedropper or what? You know, now it seems like you're controlling your character every time. So hopefully this will still be as varied and fun and crazy an experience as those past games. Yeah, it's a big departure. So, um, that's going to be interesting to see how it works. Yeah, but at any rate, I'm glad the series is still going, and I cannot wait to see how this new installment turns out. The more I think about it, the more excited I get. Yeah, me too. And then for our fifth and final entry for this list of GBA Legacy games, we're going to go with the Mega Man Zero series. And I admit this one is a bit more of a stretch than the other series we've talked about, but Mega Man Zero did spawn four series entries on Game Boy Advance, and in my opinion, they were some of the best action experiences on the system. They were insanely hard, yes, but also really, really good. And while we didn't get any of the original classic Mega Man games on GBA, we did get 
six Mega Man Battle Network games, along with the Mega Man Zero titles, which really carried on the hardcore challenge and precise action and platforming of the classic Mega Man series, albeit with many changes to the formula and Zero as the main character. And, you know, I just loved this series back in the day. I thought the games were so good. I mean, they took a lot of practice and patience, but so rewarding. You know, the series then evolved from that into Mega Man ZX on DS. It even got a collection of all four Zero games on DS. Uh, then on Switch, much more recently, there was a collection of all four Mega Man Zero games, along with the two Mega Man ZX games called Mega Man Zero ZX Legacy Collection, appropriately enough. Uh, that came out almost two years ago now. And let's be honest, there's not really any signs beyond that of the series returning with a new chapter. But, you know, they do indeed live on in the current hardware. And if you are a 2D action fan of any type, you completely owe it to yourself to check it out and play these games. You know, there's even an easy mode now, so anyone can play them and enjoy them without getting super frustrated. I mean, heck, it is even called Legacy Collection. So clearly, it is part of the GBA Legacy. Yeah, Mega Man Zero was always a little tough for me. Uh, I was always more <laughs> of a Battle Network fan myself. But the Zero games were great. Like, I mean, you know, objectively speaking, just such quality mm -hmm. gameplay. Yeah, I would certainly urge anyone who's into 2D action to check out this version, whether it's the physical release or just download it off the eShop. Yeah, you do not want to miss out on uh, this collection of great games. But yeah, those were our top five ways that the GBA legacy lives on today. But there certainly are other ways. You know, there's a strong argument for including like, you know, Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire on this list. But, you know, we decided, you know, those came out nearly seven full years ago in 2014. So it's hard to say that's that's really living on today, even if they were you know great games at the time. Yeah, I actually uh, much preferred the 3DS versions of those games to the GBA ones. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, also, you know, there have been some rumors recently of a Castlevania Advance collection that was evidently raided in Australia or someplace like that. And I totally hope that's true because those games are amazing and I would love to play them on Switch. Castlevania Aria of Sorrow is possibly my favorite game on GBA, all things told. Yeah, I'm really hoping that those rumors pan out. I only played the first GBA, Castlevania. Yeah, Circle of the Moon. Circle of the Moon, yes. Uh, I got that at launch, and I loved that game. I know that it's kind of the stepchild of the GBA Castlevania games, but um, I, I was a big fan, and I'd really like to revisit it. Yeah, they are all great. And, of course, those are also available on the Wii U Virtual Console if you don't have any other way to check them out. Also, I think another way that the Game Boy Advance's legacy is living on is that perhaps it is home to the most highly demanded localization of all time, that being Mother 3, which hit the GBA in Japan back in 2006, but of course has never been officially localized here in North America. I truly believe that one day that will change, but until then it will live on in fan demands and hopefully haunt every waking moment of Reggie's day. He likes to give it back, though. He was he was <laughs> tweeting, I want to say, like a couple months ago about how he was going to finally play the localization. And, I mean, just the Internet went nuts when he said that. So he, <laughs> Reggie knows how to give it back. Well, I, I hope it really does become playable for all of us officially one day and hopefully sometime soon. Definitely agree. So, yeah, the GBA was a fantastic system with some great games and 
even though it was more about, you know, I think refinement than groundbreaking creativity like a lot of Nintendo systems are, its impact is indeed still being felt 20 years later. And with that said, I think it's time for us to take an intermission, and then when we come back, we will discuss our second big anniversary, that of the Nintendo 3DS. We are back and we are ready to discuss the second big recent handheld anniversary, that of the Nintendo 3DS, which turned 10 years old back in March. And rather than focusing on the legacy of this one, since it is fairly recent, and there are still a lot of 3DS systems in circulation and games are pretty easy to obtain, both physically and digitally, for this one we are going to discuss 3DS Essentials, aka building the ultimate 3DS library. And, you know, that doesn't mean that everything that's great on the system is going to be here because there is a lot of stuff that's really, really great. But this is sort of, you know, where to start if you want a really good, robust, well-rounded library of 3DS games that really define the system. If you want amazing games and great variety, you want to make sure you at least have these in your collection. Yeah, I think we've come up with a pretty good list here. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, before we get into that, you know, what does the 3DS mean to you, Mark? Honestly, it was just such a strange system. You know, I I didn't know <laughs> what to make of the 3DS when it first came out. Oh yeah. And I, I think you can say that for a lot of Nintendo's weirder ideas, it was just such a peculiar jump from the DS era. But the DS era was weird too um, to start with. To be fair. I really didn't know what they were doing, and that first year, I would say, boy, I wasn't a fan. Hmm. And then just all of a sudden, it really came into its own, and the library is just excellent. It really became one of Nintendo's better overall systems, I think. Yeah, I mean, when the system launched, it did have a few growing pains before it really came into its own but you know that aside it was a really really special system for me not just because i love so many of the games and not just because it has so many fun features like street pass and virtual console but because of how i in particular was introduced to this system and i'm sure i've mentioned this story on the podcast before but, you know, I was in attendance at E3 in 2010 when the system was first unveiled. And virtually every developer I talked to was just completely blown away by this thing. Most developers were seeing the 3DS for the first time during this show. And every single one that I talked to, we talked to, Nintendo Power talked to, you know, luminaries like Yuji Naka and Warren Spector, they were all just so excited about everything that the system could do. And it was the most tangible excitement I have ever experienced at E3 and 
possibly in my entire you know gaming career. And when I saw it myself, I understood why. Because at first when I just heard about it, I didn't quite understand what it was all about. And I've never been a huge fan of watching 3D movies with special glasses. But seeing this thing in action and seeing these games spring to life in stereoscopic 3D before my eyes without the need for any external eyewear, it was just inconceivably mind-blowing back in 2010. I can still barely believe that this technology was ever even possible. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny you should say that. One of the sad things to me about the 3DS throughout its lifespan is the fact that they started downplaying the 3D. Yeah, that's true. It was such a cool feature. Mm -hmm. And when developers utilized it well, it really was mind-blowing. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, with this debut at that E3, I felt like the system really got off to a strong start in a lot of ways. But then, like after that happened, the buzz around it and the 3D craze that was kind of encompassing entertainment at the time really died down before the system hit the market. And you, know, as you alluded to, it kind of took a while for the system to regain its momentum. But then eventually it did and it ended up being one of Nintendo's best systems ever, in my opinion. So with that in mind, we're going to move on to these 20 3DS Essentials, which we are separating into two categories. First, the 10 first-party must-haves, and then the 10 deeper cuts. And, you know, obviously, the 3DS is a Nintendo system, and if you are buying a Nintendo system, a huge part of the appeal, part of what makes it unique, is that fantastic lineup of first-party software. So that is where we are going to begin, the 10 first-party must-haves. And we're going to kick that list off, and we are not presenting these in any particular order. But uh, we're going to kick this off with our first entry, which is The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. And The Legend of Zelda obviously is one of Nintendo's top franchises. And though there are a few great Zelda games on the system, the one that I think you've got to get is The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. And you might be saying, well, what about Ocarina of Time? What about Majora's Mask? And yes, those are fantastic enhanced ports. But, you know, this one was a 3DS original that can't be played anywhere else. And it is amazing. You know, it is basically the Zelda equivalent of New Super Mario Brothers, a classic-style Zelda game, but reinvented with modern technology and design sensibilities. Plus, it's a direct follow-up to The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, which I and many other consider to be the best 2D Zelda of all time, if not the best Zelda game of all time. And I admit, at first, I was a little bit worried about that because, man, you know, trying to follow up my favorite game ever, it's like, man, can it really live up to that expectation? Can it match this great 16-bit classic I love so much? But I didn't need to have worried at all because it really, really did live up to the legacy. I loved every second of it. You know, great dungeons, classic top-down adventuring, fantastic swordplay and tools and mini-games, just the right level of challenge, and, of course, the new gameplay mechanic of merging into the wall. So, yeah, I thought that it was pretty darn close to perfect and an absolutely essential title to own on 3DS. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's funny. One of my great shames as a Nintendo fan is... I have not spent a lot of time with A Link to the Past. Oh, no. I have started it about four times and just never gotten very far in it. But um, I... Oh, you got to uh, fix that. I know, I know. And it, and every year I said that I will, and I don't. But um, 
A Link Between Worlds, I got hooked right off the bat. I actually upgraded my 3DS for a 3DS XL, the special one that had the Triforce oh, nice. on the front and back. And I went at midnight to GameStop to get it. All right. So uh, I was a very big fan of that game. Very cool. All right. On to number two on the list, Super Mario 3D Land. And, you know, naturally, Mario is another must-have franchise for any given Nintendo system. And Super Mario 3D Land totally delivered. You know, there had been plenty of 3D Mario titles before this one. But, you know, they were more open-world, while this one combined the side-scrolling action of classic Super Mario with 3D level design. And the result was this unique, fun experience that was further enhanced with the stereoscopic 3D. This formula, of course, was further refined with Super Mario 3D World, which made its way to Switch not too long ago. But, you know, if you haven't played this one where it all started, Super Mario 3D Land, you should correct that immediately. It's funny, I mentioned earlier that I didn't get the 3DS right away. Like, I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. But Super Mario 3D Land was really the turning point for me. Uh It was really mind-blowing to see the different ways that Nintendo pushed that hardware with the game. The first time that I encountered a Goomba that was not really a Goomba, it was it was the, the cardboard or the wooden cutout. Oh, uh-huh. I yeah. just thought that was mm-hmm. the most clever thing that I'd ever seen in a Mario game. <laughs> I love 3D Land. I think it's one of the most underrated Mario games there is. Yeah, it is a great one. Okay, moving on to number three, Fire Emblem Awakening. Boy, it just seems we keep coming back to Fire Emblem this episode, yeah. Uh, we talked about earlier how you know Fire Emblem came in with America with the GBA. And while that was certainly a momentous occasion, I feel that Fire Emblem Awakening on 3DS was the game that really cemented the series' longevity and made it into one of Nintendo's top brands, as we had mentioned before. You know, the turn-based strategy was still key, but in this one, the story, the characters, and the more accessible difficulty really gave this one mass appeal. The time-traveling twist and the mystery of the new Marth character and also the appearances of Krom and Lucina, among so many others, really set this one apart. And for me, it remains the series' high-water mark, although in fairness, I'm still not very far into Three Houses yet. Yeah, you could definitely see that this is where Fire Emblem was starting to become a much bigger deal for Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a rumor that you know, if this one hadn't done well, then they were probably going to you know stick it on the shelf for a while. But fortunately, that was not the case. And uh, as we have seen, it just continues to grow. All right, on to number four, Mario Kart 7. Yeah, Mario Kart is a series that seems to just get better and better with every installment. And I thought that was very much the case with Mario Kart 7 at the time it came out. When it did, I think it was fair to say it was indeed the best entry in the series up until that point and introduced new mechanics like gliding and the underwater components, and that gave it some of the most varied and interesting courses in the entire franchise. And beyond that, it really just you know sticks to what makes the Mario Kart series fun with a great cast of characters and tide-turning power-ups, but it was really a defining game for the 3DS, and I believe it is the system's best-selling game with nearly 19 million copies sold. Yeah, I mean, Mario Kart just prints money, and there's a reason for it. It's great. You know, I don't think Nintendo's really had a misstep in that series, and Mario Kart 7 was excellent on 3DS. Yeah, it was fantastic. All right, number five, Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon. 
For me, these are my all-time favorite Pokemon games. And I can sum up the reason why in one word, and that is refreshing. Everything just felt so revitalized to me, so new in this installment. You know, fundamentally, it didn't really change things too much, but the new Hawaii-style setting in the Alola region, the change to the structure with the trials and the kahuna instead of the usual gyms, you know, the refined visuals and music, and of course, the Alolan variations of known existing Pokemon, I thought all that really gave it a shot in the arm that I felt like Pokemon really needed at the time. And you know, that's not to say anything bad about X or Y, but to me, if you're only going to play one Pokemon game on the system, I'd say it should be one of these, or you know, better yet, the upgraded versions, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Yeah, I know. I agree completely. I liked X and Y. I had a good time with them. I've never disliked a Pokemon main series entry, but Sun and Moon just felt like a big improvement. I am a huge fan of Hawaii myself, mm. so Alola was so cool. I thought they just knocked it out of the park, creating that region and making it feel unique when compared to all the other Pokemon regions. Yeah, for sure. And as you mentioned, the Alolan variants were a really great idea. I love that they continued that with Sword and Shield, mm -hmm. with the Galarian variants. But yeah, that's where it started with Sun and Moon, and, and um, excellent game. Yep, for sure. Okay, on to number six, Metroid, Samus Returns. And Metroid is, of course, another major pillar of Nintendo gaming, not to mention a series that practically created its own genre. And like you'd expect, this entry has a perfect blend of action, exploration, and atmosphere. And on top of that, it completely remakes Metroid 2, bringing that Game Boy classic into the modern world and adding new features like melee counters, these new Aether abilities, and new bosses, plus functionality with Amiibo. It's also spectacular in stereoscopic 3D. I think it has some of the best 3D on the system. And this was sort of the prototype for Metroid Dread, in a sense. So if you're looking forward to that one, make sure that before it comes out, you should totally check this one out as well. Yeah, Metroid 2 was in desperate need of a new coat of paint. And <laughs> yeah. Samus Returns uh, delivered on that front in a big way. Yes, absolutely. Number seven, Kirby Planet Robobot. Much like Fire Emblem and Pokemon, I would personally say that this is Kirby's best entry ever here on 3DS. And yes, of course, I do mean a Planet Robobot. Yeah, Kirby and his enemy-eating, power-stealing abilities are already fun and cool and all, but you know, what's even better than that? Well, it's better when he gets into a giant robot mech and starts going to town on enemies and solving puzzles and scanning to give this mech new abilities. I mean, robots pretty much make everything better, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and there are even you know, these really fun, straight-up side-scrolling shooter stages. And yeah, this is another game that just makes fantastic use of stereoscopic 3D with the ability to move from the foreground to the background. So I would say if you're only going to ever play one Kirby game, this is totally the one. Yeah, my two favorite Kirby games are on 3DS. Mm -hmm. I love Planet Robobot. And uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn is one of my all-time favorites. I own it on Wii. I own it on 3DS now. It was really cool. Kirby was treated very well in the 3DS era. And <laughs> yes. uh, it started with Robobot. Robobot was excellent. Yeah, and let's not forget Kirby Triple Deluxe either. But yeah, overall, the 3DS was an awesome system for Kirby games. Number eight, 
Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. This was, of course, the long-awaited sequel to Luigi's Mansion on GameCube. And even though Luigi's Mansion 3 is out now on Switch, and I would say it has surpassed this one, still Dark Moon shouldn't be overlooked. The humorously spooky formula still works spectacularly, and the introduction of multiple mansions with various themes add a good deal of variety that its predecessor lacked. Yeah, I liked that it moved the idea forward. Yes. And it really made it a series. You know, I think Luigi's Mansion is now a series. I think we can consider it that instead of just, you know, (laughs) this weird, quirky GameCube launch title. Now, you know, with the third one, it's maybe not a top tier for Nintendo, but it's it's up there. Yeah, it had new techniques, clever puzzles, the introduction of the Polterpup, and it really helped move the series forward. All right, number nine, Animal Crossing New Leaf. This is another one that perhaps has been surpassed by its sequel on Switch, that of course being Animal Crossing New Horizons, but still, I feel like New Leaf was kind of a system-defining title with the 3DS. 100%. It is mostly just the relaxing Animal Crossing experience you'd expect, but has several features that you had even made its way into the Switch game, like the coffee house and the minigame associated with that, you know, several major NPCs, all the Nintendo items in the fortune cookies, being able to set town rules going off to that island full of mini games just to name a few i mean i kind of feel like i'm knocking new horizons a little bit but really i'm just saying not to miss out on new leaf on 3ds if you haven't played it yet new leaf was my reintroduction to animal crossing i had the first one on gamecube and i skipped everything after it for whatever reason i enjoyed the gamecube one but for whatever reason i just didn't feel the need to go back And on 3DS, I grabbed New Leaf, and I loved it. It might be my most played game on 3DS. (laughs) It made me fall back in love with the series. And as you mentioned, the the Nintendo items were great. I was running around with a Samus visor the entire time I was playing. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it was really the one that got me into the series for the first time. I I dabbled in the earlier ones, but that one really got me into it. And yeah, it is probably one of my most played games on the 3DS as well. All right, on to number 10, Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 3DS. You know, we've covered a lot of uh, great must-have first-party titles, a lot of big franchises, numerous genres. But, you know, we don't want to leave out one of the biggest of them all, Super Smash Brothers. Admittedly, you know, it has also been overshadowed by Ultimate on Switch, but at the time that this game came out, it was arguably the best handheld fighting game ever released. And it has its own modes and features and music that were exclusive to this entry in the series compared to its counterpart on Wii U. So if you want the Ultimate 3DS library, no pun intended, I feel like this one has to be in your collection. It's overshadowed a little bit, by Ultimate, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but I think we have to point out how miraculous it felt playing Smash Brothers on a handheld uh-huh. when it came out on 3DS. It just felt like it shouldn't be real. And I mean, it was pulled off excellently. It, it played like Smash, which, you know, I wouldn't have expected. Yeah, I mean, It felt like Smash Brothers coming to handheld was long overdue and it finally happened on the 3DS and it totally delivered. It was pretty much everything that uh, a handheld Smash Brothers game could be or should be. And uh, yeah, it played wonderfully. So couldn't agree more. 
And that does it with our first 10, the 10 first party must haves. So uh, you know, maybe those were all a little obvious, but still you know, essential for any 3DS owner. But you know, what if we want to go a little bit deeper, you know, away from the universally recognized first party franchises? So you know, with these next 10, we probably aren't going to be getting too obscure with most of them, but we are going to dive into 10 great third party titles that are just slightly deeper cuts and should not be overlooked. And we are going to start with Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater 3D. Obviously, Metal Gear Solid is not some unknown franchise. It is a big one. But you know, personally, I have a long history with Snake Eater. I reviewed this game on PlayStation 2, and it was probably the best game I'd ever covered professionally at the time. Basically, a 10 out of 10. And then it came to 3DS all these years later, and I thought it held up amazingly well. It's a very deep game with a lot of technique and a lot of systems, the whole camouflage index, lots of weapons and moves, having to catch food to refill your stamina, and it has a great story to boot. And visually, pretty much it looked just as good on 3DS as it did on console. It's just one of the deepest, most robust gaming experiences I've ever played, or certainly had played at that time. And yes, it is a port, but, you know, you know, don't ignore the game because of that. It was the first time it ever came to Nintendo systems. And, you know, I have heard some people complain about the frame rate, but I have never had any issues with that myself. So I do indeed consider this one of the all-time greats. I think having a game of that scope and that rating it also paved the way for, you know, other games on 3DS like Resident Evil Revelations. Oh, yeah. You know, it kind of showed that the 3DS was capable of doing a lot more than what we'd seen previously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, I should add that uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater 3D is very special to me because I actually did the negotiations with Konami to get an issue of Nintendo Power into the game. And it was this ridiculously long back and forth discussion that went on with them for months and there were so many legal papers involved and I'm just amazed it ever happened. All these red line documents. I consider it one of the hardest things I've ever done, even though pretty much all I did was just pass documents around back and forth and nag Konami and Nintendo and future. But I am super happy with the result, super happy with the game, super happy there's an issue of Nintendo Power in there. Anyway, if that doesn't convince you that this is an essential, I don't know what will. Yeah, I didn't know about that Nintendo Power fact. Now I'm going to have to track down the game myself. Oh my gosh, you missed that part? I did. Yeah, gotta hunt it down. Okay, number two, Sonic Generations. Obviously, Sonic is another huge franchise. It's one of the biggest names in gaming. But for some reason, I feel like this title in particular gets overlooked. Like, the console version of Sonic Generations is well-regarded, and it had this cool gimmick of retro 2D stages and modern 3D stages. The 3DS version is all 2D gameplay all the time, with just slightly different play mechanics between the classic and the modern stages. But you know what? In my opinion, that does not matter. Sonic is arguably still best in 2D anyway, so this is just more good stuff as far as I'm concerned. The game itself is like a Sonic Greatest Hits compilation with stages inspired by various classic Sonic games, which, you know, that's just a great gimmick in my opinion and a perfect way to celebrate what was, at the time, Sonic's 20th anniversary. It is a lot of fun, it's a fantastic platformer, so please do not ignore it. 
Yeah, I was a big fan of the console version of Sonic Generations. I couldn't get behind the idea of the 3DS one because you didn't have the gimmick of having the 2D and 3D, but you're kind of selling me on it now. I'm kind of interested in checking it out. All right. Next on the list, another Sega title, Rhythm Thief and the Emperor's Treasure. Yeah, speaking of overlooked games, this is another one that should not be ignored. It is a rhythm game mixed with a mystery adventure. When you're not playing through one of several musical minigames, you are exploring the city, looking for clues, talking to NPCs. It's sort of like Professor Layton or Phoenix Wright, but in rhythm game form. The music is also just crazy catchy, as you'd expect from a game in this genre. It is probably the most obscure game on our list here, but if you like rhythm games at all, go download it immediately. Yeah, get it while the 3DS eShop's still around. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, next one on this list is Professor Layton and the Azran Legacy. Uh, yeah, we have uh, one that we were uh, just talking about a second ago, Professor Layton. And uh, this was the sixth and last game with Professor Layton as the main character. And while it's very similar to the other Layton games that had been released before it, you know, with their mix of exploration and investigation and a huge variety of puzzles, the scope feels so much more grand and epic in this one with this globe-spanning plot that really raises the stakes for the characters. Uh, on top of that... In this one, Professor Layton disguises himself as a creepy duck. So yeah, great series, and this is definitely the best installment on 3DS. You can't go wrong with Professor Layton as a duck. Indeed, indeed. And continuing on in the same vein, next we have Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney Dual Destinies, which is the fifth game in the Ace Attorney series. The first four originated on older systems, but are all available on 3DS. And the sixth game is totally epic and on 3DS as well. But I think I'll have to say that this one is my favorite of the two native 3DS titles. It has the same compelling gameplay as other installments, which is to say I will always love discovering contradictions and finding evidence and yelling objection into the microphone to rub my opponent's face into their lies. Uh, but the characters and story also really stood out to me in this one. The game brought Phoenix Wright back to the forefront after you know pushing him into the back with the fourth installment, and then it turned Apollo Justice into uh, you know someone I really liked. He was kind of a lame character when it was his own game in the fourth installment, but they really raised his profile in this one, and it also introduced the character of Athena Sykes, who is one of my uh, absolute favorite characters in the franchise. You know, this one is download only, but do not let that stop you from snagging it. Yeah, Phoenix is such a likable character, so it was good to have him back in the spotlight, where he belongs. For sure. Next, at number six on this list, Kingdom Hearts 3D, Dream Drop Distance. This certainly wasn't the first Kingdom Hearts game on Nintendo systems, but I think it might have been the first that really felt like a brand new game and a significant part of the Kingdom Hearts franchise. It wasn't just a rehash of previous adventures, it wasn't a retelling, it wasn't a spin-off, it was legitimately a brand new game with new Disney worlds and never-before-seen characters in full 3D action, no compromises, no sacrifices, top-notch production values. This game you know, could have been Kingdom Hearts 3 if they'd wanted to call it that, and it is fantastic. 
Yeah, definitely a must-check-out title for Kingdom Hearts fans. Next up, number seven, Zero Escape, Virtue's Last Reward. For something totally different, check out this game. It is part object-oriented puzzle-solving, part mystery adventure, part expansive storytelling, almost like a visual novel. It is the sequel to Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors on DS, and it's probably better appreciated if you've played that game, but what really matters is this game's story and characters. I mean, solving the puzzles is, you know, super great fun, really rewarding, but as the story unfolds and you learn about the characters and the mysteries, and there really are some super, super great twists, you will come to understand what makes this game so special. Definitely one of the more unique entries on our list, but definitely one worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. Next, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. And a disclaimer, once again, this is a way forward game and I do indeed work there. But this came out on 3DS years before I was involved with the company. Although, on the other hand, I am largely responsible for putting it on the cover of the second to last issue of Nintendo Power. Anyway, you know, many people consider this their favorite game in the Shantae action adventure platformer series. And it is not hard to see why. It's got non-linear Metroid-style exploration, lots of cool abilities derived from pirate gear, numerous islands to explore, a great sense of humor, lots of quirky NPCs, fun writing, cool bosses, and this is another one that has spectacular use of stereoscopic 3D. And, you know, I know that the physical Switch version of this game is like crazy expensive right now for some reason, but you know, it started on 3DS, and you know, due to the stereoscopic 3D, I might still consider this version to be the best. It was my first Shantae entry. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah, I was familiar with the series beforehand just from being a Nintendo Power fan and you know, reading basically every gaming mag under the sun. But um, I, it was my first time trying the series, and man, it, it's where I fell in love. It's an excellent game. It well deserves its spot on the list, regardless of whether or not it's available on other platforms. Well said. And speaking of great indie games, the next one on our list is Shovel Knight. You can't go wrong with that one. Great retro style, fun shovel pogo play mechanics, awesome music, excellent game structure with just the right amount of nonlinearity, a variety of special weapons, challenging bosses that kind of remind me of Mega Man. It pretty much has it all. And of course, the 3DS version is indeed the only version with the stereoscopic 3D. And this is another one where it really shines through and really looks incredible and brings out the best in this game. Even though I already had this game on Wii U and other systems, you know, I had to get it on 3DS just for the 3D. Now, see, I first played it on Wii U, and now you're kind of making me wish that I had played it on 3DS. I might have to track it down. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing, but one time I was out of town, I really wanted to play Shovel Knight, and all I had with me was my 3DS, so I downloaded it, and I was blown away by the 3D and did not regret double-dipping one bit. I'm overdue to buy the Switch version because I have one of the Arby's toys with the code to get Arby's items in Shovel Knight. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. I haven't tried that out myself yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Okay, on to our last entry of the third-party deeper cuts. One more downloadable indie gem, Zeodrifter from Renegade Kid, the studio now known as Atui. 
And when you think of Renegade Kid, you know, Mutant Muds is probably the first game that comes to mind. That's what I think people might pick out as being an essential. But this is my favorite. This is another great one. I really can't recommend Zeo Drifter enough. It is very much a Metroid light atmospheric sci-fi shooting and exploration along with upgrades that let you reach new areas all crammed into a very jam-packed package that does not waste your time. I mean you can get through the whole game in maybe four hours or something. It's also got a very cool weapon customization system uh, as well as yet again excellent stereoscopic 3D. One of the abilities you get is this move that lets you go from the foreground to the background. And even though I have this game on other systems like Switch, I miss seeing that feature in 3D whenever I am not playing it on 3DS. It is about as good a game as you can get for $10. Yeah, it's a little daunting at first. The difficulty's pretty high when you first start out, but once you get used to it and, and stick with it, Zeo Drifter is a lot of fun, especially if you're a Metroid fan. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, there we go. Those are the 20 essential games we would suggest getting as cornerstones for building the ultimate 3DS library. Naturally, there are lots of other amazing games out there, big franchises we didn't even touch, and indie titles that are extremely worthwhile. But with these 20, I think you are off to a great start. And uh, as you alluded to earlier, Mark, you know, the 3DS eShop isn't going to last forever, so get them while you can. I hope that the reports of its demise are incorrect yeah but um all good things come to an end and i just don't know how long nintendo is going to support it for yeah i mean the latest rumor is they will stop accepting credit cards in the months ahead but you'll still be able to buy the uh, the prepaid cards at stores and hopefully that'll still last for a long time but uh, yeah we'll see we'll see how it goes Anyway, yeah, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our 3DS discussion, but uh, I did want to talk about one more handheld-related topic with you, that being the new model of Nintendo Switch, the Switch OLED model, which arrives on October 8th. You know, dedicated handheld gaming, as we knew it with the GBA and 3DS, is pretty much dormant these days, but this new model of Switch really seems to be designed with handheld gaming in mind. It has a bigger, brighter OLED screen that is 7 inches compared to the 6.2 LCD screen of the original Switch, a bigger stand for tabletop mode, more built-in internal storage, that being 64 gigs compared to 32 gigs of the standard model, and a new dock with a wired LAN port. It's also available with white Joy-Cons in addition to the red and blue. And it comes with a very exciting $50 price increase <laughs> from $300 to $350. Uh, if you're playing it on your TV, you're probably not going to notice a whole lot of difference compared to the old model too much. But if you're someone who enjoys playing the Switch undocked, it just might be worth an upgrade. Mark, what do you say? Do you think it is worth it? It really comes down to how you play, and that's my stance on it right now. Mm -hmm. I play Switch the majority of the time as a handheld. That's how I like to play it. Mm -hmm. But I also know a lot of people who don't take it out of the dock. So I really think it's going to come down to how you play. I think it looks gorgeous. I really like that white. It looks stunning. And I can't wait to see how the screen looks. Especially, you know, playing in the light, because if you play in the light, it's not great right now. Mm. But that OLED screen, I'm very excited to give a whirl. But yeah, it's really going to be, how do you play it? 
that determines whether or not it's worth upgrading. Yeah, I totally have to agree on multiple points. I'm looking forward to seeing with my own eyes as well. But uh, yeah, as opposed to you, uh, you know, despite my love of dedicated handheld gaming, I usually play my switched docked like 99% of the time for that matter. So is it going to be worth it for me? Mm, probably not. If I didn't have a switch or I was advising someone who didn't have a switch, I would say yes, absolutely. Pay the extra 50 bucks, get the OLED model. Absolutely. But you know, I'm not desperate to get one. I have not pre-ordered one. Will I get one eventually? Probably. But just like with the Switch Lite, I'm holding off. You know, I don't have a light yet, and I'm just kind of waiting for them to make some really cool model. You know, a, a Zelda-themed system or a Japanese-exclusive Ace Attorney-themed system or something like that before I buy one. Uh, are, do you think you're going to get one right out of the gate? We'll see. I'm on the fence right now. I still have my launch edition Switch. So I don't have the better battery life. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I play in handheld mode for the most part. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm charging it a lot. So it might be worth the investment for me. All right. Thanks for the input. Anyway, I think that pretty much does it for this handheld-centric episode of Power Pros. We've looked back at some of our favorite handheld games and systems of the past with the GBA and 3DS and looked into the future of handheld gaming just a little bit with the Switch OLED model. And uh, now it is pretty much time to call it a wrap. But, you know, before we go, I believe we do have time for one more thing. And that, of course, is a dramatic reading. This time, it is the 3DS eShop description of the game Rainbow Snake. Rainbow Snake is a beautiful, classic game. Eating food, snake painted in different colors. Collect a colorful snake and avoid the green walls. Over time, the snake is gaining speed. Simple game mechanics. You can die when you hit the wall, and you can't eat yourself. The snake is gaining speed. Be more careful. <laughs> it's like they made that with your dramatic readings in mind wow um, <laughs> I, I'd like to think so I'd like to think so that that would be great that was a little short though that was short um, but man that was that was dramatic uh, you know you know what I, I think I've got another one because I was so sure I think I have time for another one yeah let's yeah, do let's, another one let's do a second dramatic reading of Another 3DS uh, eShop title, Escape from Forest. Run, run away. You have to escape from this dangerous, terrible forest. Danger breathes in your back, and it's gaining speed. It will soon catch you up. Run faster. Just don't hit the tree. <laughs> <laughs> i i don't even know what to make of it like i'm i'm intrigued by these titles like i want to look them up but i don't at the same time does that make sense uh it it very much does and uh, really what i think these titles prove is that believe it or not there were actually still games being released in the 3ds eShop even after the switch came out you know you might have never heard of rainbow snake 
or Escape from Forest, which came out in uh, 2018 and 2020, respectively. Yeah, both of these games are 99 cents. But yeah, you look in that 3DS eShop post-Switch, and you'll be like, wow, there is some really bizarre stuff out here. So, uh, you know, user beware. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on this special episode of Power Pros. We are, of course, not on a regular recording schedule, so who knows when or if we'll be back again. But nonetheless, you can reach us at PowerProsPod on Twitter and Facebook, as well as via email at PowerProsPod at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Chris Hoff and Mark at MarkTheChamp. With a C. That's right. Thank you for listening, everybody. For myself, Mark DeChamps. Always great to be here, Hoff. And our special guest, Ansem, Seeker of Darkness. My name is Ansem. Keep on playing with power.